Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. Good morning, mortgage world, real estate world. It is Todd coming at you on our terrific Tuesday morning Coffee with Todd. We have a distinguished guest with us today, Mr. David Stevens. Uh, you may know David from all the incredible work he's done over the years with the NBA, being past president and CEO. Uh, he is a, a, a true street fighter, grew up as a loan originator, spent about 16, 17 years doing that, became the group vice president of that that business with World Savings, went on to several other mortgage companies, uh, got his CMB designation, I think in 2015. And uh, and uh, Dave has decided to join us today to just kind of talk about the business and talk about the industry and kind of see what's going on. So Dave, good to have you with us this morning. Thanks for joining. Good to be with you, Todd. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what just happened, but your camera froze a little bit. There you go. Moving around, moving around. So, um, guys, you can go ahead and post any questions you'd like in the live feed over here under comments. And, uh, you know, I thought I thought I'd start off with a kind of interesting question, Dave. You've uh, you've retired from the NBA and you did some really, really great work there. Bring us up to speed with what you've been doing since then. Well, as everybody who knows me keeps telling me, I flunked retirement. Uh, and uh, <laughs> probably maybe I should have kept working. I um, once I left, I joined a corporate board, Dynex, which is a real estate investment trust, uh, NYSE listed, uh, an agency REIT, as we call it. So I've been on that board. But um, really, over the last uh, year or so, I had a few companies reach out and say, hey, would you come join my board or be an advisor? Can I hire you as a consultant? And it got to the point where my accountant said, you better start a company. Uh, so <laughs> I formed a company called Mountain Lake Consulting. I live on a lake with a mountain surrounding it. And uh, <laughs> I looked out the window. That's my that's my creativity about as far as it goes. So, yeah, I've got a consulting business. Um, I do some long-term contracts. I do some really short-term contracts. I just uh, did one uh, this week for United Arab Emirates, um, wow. who's looking to invest in property in the U.S., and uh, we've done several phone calls with each other, and I'm uh, helping them think about markets in the United States on the single-family side. Really interesting dialogue, by the way, uh, because the group that took me on uh, is connected to the uh, the royal family, and um, and they're looking to literally buy up a ton of real estate in this country just because of demographics. They think it's yeah. got nowhere to go but up. So anyway, a lot of interesting kind of work that comes your way when you're doing this kind of thing. Well, I think you know the the Dave Stevens I know would flunk retirement almost immediately. You're, you're a passionate you're a passionate guy, and you add a ton of value, and you're committed to, uh, committed to making a difference. I do have two posts already. One has recommended that you um, it says Dave Stevens for president. So uh, I, I, you know, retirement might bring you all the way back and somebody wants you to run for president. And then another guy just said, Cliff said from cross country, I feel like I should have a blue shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We both commented Cliff on the blue shirt. It's a team, so team uniform. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's, let's divide this into three sections. Let's, let's talk about um, first, some of the things that you are like most proud of that you have 
orchestrated as, a, as the senior leader of the Mortgage Bankers Association, things that come to mind that you know created an indelible change for this industry that you just, you feel like, I feel proud that we were able to do that. What's on your mind? What's your short list on that? You know, um, I'm sure anybody who's been in that seat looks at their term in with their own lens, and I'm going to do the same. But, um, you know, when I came in, I had been in the Obama administration, and I'd worked on housing issues. And my own perspective was I didn't think the MBA had a voice that was very influential. In fact, most having worked on the housing team for the president, uh, when people at Treasury or in the White House or at HUD or OMB or whatever wanted to understand what's going on with industry, they would typically call lenders, specific ones, and usually the big ones, which, as you know, doesn't reflect our industry very well all the time. They're critically important, but it's a very distributed business. And uh, I really wanted to set an impression that the NBA was the voice of the industry. One voice, you may recall that yeah. slogan we rolled out. And uh, and to do that, you really have to unite both bank and non-bank and uh, try to find uniformity of issue. I remember when I first took the job, uh, the, the, at the time, the CEO of Wells Fargo Home Mortgage was Mike Hyde. And Mike called me and he goes, Dave, you've been, I've been hearing you talk a lot about needs for the uh, IMBs, independent mortgage bankers. My view was that the SAFE Act was unfair. And I still believe that's the case. It required testing for non-bank employees, but gave bank employees uh, a freebie. And I thought that actually didn't do a great job in elevating uh, the reputation of our business because we couldn't see everybody pass this test. Right. Uh, and it also created all these other boundaries, which you're well aware of. Uh, Mike called me and said, how, you know, what do you, when you decide to advocate on something, how are you going to decide what position to take? And I said, immediately, I'm going to take the position that's best for the industry. Uh, we're not going to pick sides. If it helps the industry overall uh, and keep the playing field level, that's what we're going to fight for. But I, I, as I saw membership grow when I was there, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that people began to see the NBA in a, in a, in a favorable light. Um, and I, you know, we had a good team. I brought in guys like Pete Mills and I brought in Marsha Davies and, you know, folks that are really having an influence there. So that's one. The other, the other thing, which is in the background, MBA was broke. When I came in, we, uh, I, I brought in Marsha immediately and because we had worked together at Freddie Mac and I brought her into HUD uh, to help me. But we looked at our payroll. We weren't going to be able to make payroll uh, on month three. Most of the employees may know that now. They didn't know that then. Uh, and today, wow. the, the, today, the MBA has never been more successful financially. And I actually just received a couple of contacts from board members saying, you know, I always wondered why you had such a large nest egg. Now I understand because, you know, they're canceling conferences. And, yeah, uh, there's really very little revenue coming in. So um, but really, I, I think it's the unity of voice. I, I could add we started the Open Stores Foundation. And it's really important. That's cool. To give back. And it's that that's a nonprofit that's grown across the country. It's now pretty damn darn large yeah. and does very well. And of course, Marsha brought Empower to the table. That was all, of course, her doing. But it's a reflection, I think, on the MBA about diversity and the importance and power of women in our industry. None of that couldn't be any more important than right now as we Amen. speak about, uh, yeah. about what's going on in this country. Yeah. Amen. Well, I know two things happen to me every time I see something come out from the NBA and, and there's a lot, I'm, I'm, I'm very reminded of how active 
they have become under your leadership and how much more value they're adding to you know, to the industry as a result of that. And, and so I think of you all the time because I just see a really alive organization that really cares about mortgage professionals. And, and the other thing that I think is interesting is that as you look at social cause and as we look at um, you know, anybody, whether it's an LO that donates a percentage of, you know, something legally that they can to a veterans fund or something like this, or wholesale companies that just do stuff for, for industry. When you, when you have social contribution, um, you outperform most of the organizations that don't have social contribution. So there's a real, there's a real pulse there that I know that, that you created. And I think it's just substantial to see what's happening. So good. So those are three good things. When you look as a consultant now, so you've got this mammoth 30 year history, right? You started off as a loan rep and you rose all the way up to, you know, to divisional and senior executive leadership and then head of the MBA. When you when you kind of zoom away for a second, you just look at where are we right now in June of 2020? Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What are you thinking about right now? And what are your clients talking to you about? And what concerns do you have or thoughts about the next, like, let's call it 12 to 36 months, as much as Dave Stevens has a crystal ball? Yeah. Well, one, I, I really depend on data. So uh, the companies I advise, um, I will get their organizations together, their sales force together. Uh, one case I meet with uh, one company I consult for every Thursday afternoon, uh, and I will literally share the most recent data that comes out of top economists, whether it's Frank Notaf of CoreLogic or Mark Zandi with Moody's, Mike Frantoni from the MBA, uh, on and on. I will reach out to them and ask them for their view. I just been doing that this week, uh, today, uh, looking at what may happen ahead, and uh, aggregating. Uh, analytics that will help us think about what's going to happen next. So literally, I, uh, you know, Moody's and a few other economists have put together a forecast almost at the very beginning of this late March that said, you know, Q2 was going to be terrible, but Q3, we were going to see a resurgence and probably gain back about half the jobs that were lost. And I presented that data way back then and everybody was like, well, that doesn't sound right because we were just in the beginning. The nation had just shut down in the middle of March under executive order and states were shut down and people thought this was going to be very long lasting. Well, it turns out data matters and um, it helps. So, you know, what I, as I think about the business that we're in, one is how do you keep people positive and focused um, on what's happening now? Because we are benefiting from the federal Fed, federal reserve intervention um, that's been driving rates lower um, and all the subsidies that come out of the CARES Act. And the reality is and that we're all beginning to realize is the CARES Act hits society uh, very differently. If you're a service employee in high concentration of rental housing, you're hurt far worse than owner-occupied housing and white-collar workers. And uh, there's racial barriers there. There's uh, uh, barriers along gender lines that show unemployment rates that are very disparate depending on you are and uh, where you work in the market. For our business, Todd, um, and this is relevant to you, I think, in what you do, we're a very short-sighted business. So uh, today, everybody's pipelines are full. Uh, I'm, you know, My companies have their ops teams working over the weekends just to underwrite as many loans as possible because they're so backlogged uh, with volume. You know, That's all temporary. 
uh, to me. Um, we're going to have a, rec a resurgence of, of COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, we're seeing it now. Uh, when that happens, you know, that I'm going I'm to depend on forecasters to at least help me think about that. And then on the back end of this, we're going to have extended unemployment and other things that are hitting the markets. And so, um, and, and we're going to lose refinances because once we're done refinancing everybody wherever this bottoms out, maybe in the high twos, um, we'll be done. And if you look at the MBA's forecast or Freddie or Fannie, all of them call for sort of an end to the refi business. Uh, I think MBA is the most conservative, but moving really to a purchase weighted business like we just had over the last year. And so from that standpoint, uh, loan reps are going to have to perhaps resharpen their tools if they didn't have them sharpened out already um, or get them sharper to be able to deal with this transition from an order taking refi business to a proactive uh, uh, selling environment where you have to become that individual that that referral partner thinks of first and foremost when they've got their next potential buyer. Um, and that's that's a big transition. That's a skill set change. And I, I think about so now it's make hay while the sun shines. The virus poses risk in terms of, you know, when are we going to get a vaccine and what's the recurrence going to do to state uh, employment numbers we actually saw this morning. Um, and then taking that out further. How's our industry, who are going to be the survivors of our industry coming out of all this, who can deal in a very different environment because refis will be done. The Fed will start raising rates uh, two or three years out, and we're going to be back 100% dependent or majority dependent on purchase activity. Going to require you know a, a complete retooling of how our business operates. Yeah, I re I reflect back on as you were talking. I reflect for, reflect back on a couple of years ago when I was at MBA headquarters and you and I sat down and we were talking about talking about technology. We were talking about trust. We were talking about relationships. And I'm reminded right now as you talk about the inevitable. You can bet on it every time when. Refis go away. Most LOs are standing naked and it's like, what do I do now? Right. And, you know, the thought I had is, is with this technology, you know, you're on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast. We're able to have, for the most part, just a legitimate kind of dialogue. I can look into your eyes. You can look into my eyes. It certainly wasn't like we were sitting next to each other at the MBA when we were doing our interview. But yeah. I'm telling LOs today that the time to really try to buoy up your your purchase business um, is like before the world says it's time to get your purchase business going again. And exactly. I'd like to encourage loan reps that 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 understand this and any LO that is new to the industry and you think this is like how it always is going to be with full pipelines. It's not. You can right now develop the daily discipline of reaching out to the partners that you know are going to be purchase partners. And you can do some weekly updates with them. You can do a 15 minute Zoom call with every real estate agent that you want to be partnered with in 2021. And you can start laying the groundwork for that right now. And I think that I think that the idea is 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 real success is when you plan for the inevitable, not react when the inevitable happens. And that's kind of my advice. Exactly. You see it the same way? Oh my God, yes. You know, I, I worked for when I worked for World Savings, and we were, as you know, we had to sell an awkward product. So we, uh, the 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 head of the company, uh, not Herb and Marion Sandler, but Jim Judd, who actually ran the, the the business, Jim had come from Xerox, and so we went old classic professional selling skills, PSS, PSS, taught everybody how to do. We went around with these flip charts, and this is old school, which some people <laughs> have to be old enough to remember what that looked like. Um, 
Although Deb Still, who runs Pulte Mortgage, says, I always remember you coming in with those silly easels. That, that was us. But uh, the, the thing that I was always taught by my executives early on in my career at World was always worry most when things are at their best because you get lazy. And, uh, and to your point, Zoom. Um, you know, Zoom just went public about a year and a half ago. Today, it's 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 worth fifty billion dollars. Its value exceeds the seven domestic airlines of this country combined uh, in in market cap, um, and that's a phenomenon of today. Obviously, enveloped in COVID and what we're learning. But to that point, Todd, I mean, you're a professional sales trainer and more, but. Uh, those of us who grew up in actual sales, face-to-face, contact, selling, uh, pre-internet, uh, it, when you can add your face to the dialogue and not just a voice or an email, you improve your chances of success significantly more so. I, I'm, I'm actually shocked that every LO doesn't have, hasn't spent the money, not for the free 45-minute version of Zoom, but doesn't have a paid subscription to Zoom, which is cheap, uh, and hosting, as you said, Targeted calls to build relationships um, uh, with trust, to use the, uh, the terminology that you express, um, in a manner that's going to help you set yourself up for success over the long term. And it comes back to my view. I guarantee a lot of folks who are going to listen to this are saying, yeah, I've got to do that. I'm going to do that. And, you know, there's too many going to do's in this world. When I was a rep, I, I was the number four top producer in my company my very first year. I mean, there was a lot of old tenure around me. People had been really successful in the past. They just weren't as hungry. And uh, and they had call reluctance and didn't want to go out and make individual face-to-face realtor calls. And I just figured, you know, I want to go out and get as rejected as much as I possibly can every day because I knew eventually I'd get a sale. And it was competitive, you know. we It's a different spirit. But there's 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 an attitudinal aspect to this, but there's how you manage your time in a quality way to achieve success. And and I think to your from your point that you just made, long term success is going to come from the kind of things that, that that kind of example, which is, you know, doing a Zoom call or X number of Zoom calls every day uh, with targeted potential future prospects, uh, i.e., relationships. It's, it is super important, guys, that you hear what Dave just said. And, you know, our, our, our iPhone and Droid technology allow us to connect on demand, you know, to be in demand of those partners. And we need to be thinking about um, what what the inevitable is. I mean, Dave, you and I have been in this business 30 years. We've seen yeah. these interest rate cycles and we've seen the the desert, right? The desert after refis are gone and yeah. nothing wrong with, with taking advantage of it. But guys, get into the discipline. You know, it's it's a... Uh, it's this idea of, of compounding. It's this idea of do something a little bit every single day. Like if you just checked in with one realtor a day, every business day for the next one month, you can make an impact on 20 people's lives and start to set the stage that this is going to happen. And, um, and and the other thing, too, is to develop routine. So Dave brings up this idea of, of time management. And, and I am passionate about the art of, of managing the time that has been gifted to you. And so you could right now, as a result of this dialogue, just decide that here's the days, here's the hour, and here's what I'm going to do. And it's going to be every day, like brushing my teeth. It's going to be that discipline. I remember Zig Zig. It's funny. If you, if you, if you force that effort, and one of the things that you you know, you teach us, I've never actually sat to one of your programs, but um, I'm sure you teach it is that, you know, people will find an excuse to avoid uh, the risk of conflict, of confrontation, you know, I got, I, oh, I got to do this. Or I got to do that. I got to return this email. I'll, I'll get to that. If you don't set the discipline 
to make those, I'll just use old school verbiage, prospecting calls uh, during those hours of the day, and you don't block it on your calendar and commit to it, you're going to find every reason in the world not to do it. And or I'll, I, I screwed up today, I'll do it tomorrow. I mean, that kind of stuff just is is all the recipe for disaster or for success. Yeah. And what's to your point too, it's, it's, and, and I love this because the MBA is always about helping people get better, learning, growing, getting better. You know, Steve Jacobson always talks about that's what our people have to do. They have to learn, they have to grow and they have to get better. The idea. Yeah. The idea that I would have all of you understand right now is um, the simple idea that if you're not connecting, you're not converting. It's straight up. It's that simple, right? And so not only with borrowers where it feels like a layup, you know, doing refis right now, but in the more sophisticated purchase market and and, and in the spirit of trying to understand what does the future of our business look like with borrowers and, and building your tribe and so on and so forth, you've got to get good at a skill or you will have all kinds of reasons why you don't do the thing. In this case, you know, making calls. And so this idea of competence first, and then that yields confidence. And when you have confidence, then you're more consistent. And I think every successful person on the planet, whether leadership, sales, whatever they do, one thing they finally learn is consistency is the mother load. If I do the same thing the right way, right? Yeah, as situational leadership teaches you, it's competence and confidence are the two measures that you look at. And if oftentimes, if you lack confidence, it's a confidence issue. And that, right. that, that requires training and development because you're not going to walk in immediately being able to, to be able to present ideas in a way that motivates someone to like pick you next all the time. It's a skill you develop. Again, I'll just give you one example, Todd. So I, you know, I went, as you know, I was running a big real estate company, Long & Foster. Uh, yep. We had a mortgage company, the whole nine yards and 14,000 agents. And I got a call to go in the administration and I walked in and I found success pretty early on. In fact, behind me is a piece of legislation that the White House, uh, the president signed in the pens in the frame for a bill that we helped get through with only four no votes. And people would come to me. I let you like, have you done this before? And I, to me, I don't care if you're selling ideas to politicians or bureaucrats in Washington uh, or to, um, trying to recruit members into an MBA. Or selling a loan to your, you know, a prospect who you just got to talk to today, the skills are entirely the same. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's all about showing them where the value is. And then, I, I hate to say it, there's always a close involved. Whether I'm closing for commitment to an idea, uh, which I had to do in Washington over the last decade, or I'm closing to something more tangible, which is uh, taking this loan today um, or get, giving me the time to talk to you today, which is closing for time, a strategy and selling. Um, it's all the same kind of skill set. So I have, trust me, if you if you learn this, it's not just about you know going to Todd's program, whoever, whoever, there are a lot of good people who do this. It's about what that's going to help you with your career, future management job, leadership job, moving up in your company, being a better manager yourself, recruiting top talent, teaching them. All of it is, uh, are, these are tangible skill sets that you actually use throughout your life. Yeah, it's interesting because we're getting prepped today after we're done uh, having this interview with you. Um, we have a, a, a live stream, a four-hour live stream tomorrow to about 3,000 mortgage brokers in Canada. And um, the opening line is, in, in order for you, it, the opening line is, um, if you want to have the better you get at business, the better business gets for you. That's the line. The better you get at business, the better business gets for you. And I think people real people need to 
understand that that our life is about skill sharpening. You know, I, I tell the story that when I was learning how to fly private planes, I was horrible at landing, just horrible. And it's like the one thing you have to do. You have right. to be able to land, right? And I remember coming home one day and, and uh, my wife looked at me and she said, you did not have a good day flying. And I said, I feel like such a failure. And she looked at me and she said, you teach that failure is okay. You got, you, you, I need to remind you of that as your wife, that every time you mess up a landing, you're figuring out how not to land. And pretty right. soon, and so it took 62 landings before I got signed off on being <laughs> competent, but, you know, 62 times trying to get that plane to just touch down perfectly. And yeah. If I had given up on the third time, I, I wouldn't be a pilot. You know, it's that simple. So yeah, it's interesting. interesting. Um, yeah. What are you telling leaders today? So you've done a lot of great stuff just now on on the the, the, the loan side and, and and equipping LOs to really be future thinking right now. What are you What are you talking and what are you seeing um, about what leaders are doing today? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, let's just talk about our mortgage business because I talk to a lot of folks yeah. in the business. And I, by the way, I just, you know, I, I advise companies formally. There's several who have approached me and asked me to hire me as a consultant and I can't take on more work right now or I'm being very selective, but I still talk to them all the time and see yeah. what they're doing. To me, um, you know, good leaders need to direct their organizations to do exactly some of the things we're talking about. And so... Um, in some cases, I've actually attended, I've been attending some recent calls with large groups of realtors and home builders organized by this, the, uh, the leadership of the mortgage company. And I think that's just sort of building what we're talking about. And I'll, I'll, they'll have me do a presentation or I did one the other day with uh, Barry Habib and I shared, shared the, 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 the video. But these are ways that you actually help provide the leadership and set the example and help make sure the thing gets organized in order to get the sales force moving forward. Um, I, I see a lot of executives doing very little who are uh, sort of sitting in their offices, worried about capital markets and operations support only, and uh, not thinking about how to uh, roll up their sleeves and help their organization get prepared for what's ahead. And frankly, you know, as you and I have seen, sometimes it's the largest mortgage companies that are least effective at leading, and then they get caught in the next downturn with all this overhead, uh, and in many cases, we've seen them collapse under their own weight. Um, this is a time when you need to be, you know, very effective, and you need to be able to, you know, spend your time obviously focused on operations and capital markets, but you need to be thinking about your organization because that's where the business comes in, and uh, and the symbiotic relationship of sales and ops, processors, underwriters, trying to get some unity of thought in terms of everybody understanding what everybody's doing and why they're doing it. And then driving activities. Um, you know, my view at the end of the day is, I'll give you my easy example, Todd, uh, which I used to use as a sales trainer and a manager myself and trying to teach other people how to manage. You don't tell your employee, you don't set objectives and just give them a laundry list of objectives. You don't tell someone just to go build the Statue of Liberty. You know, it doesn't work that way. And maybe you get workers and say, hey, see these rocks over here? Can you bring them over to that island? Let's get victories one step at a time. And when they get that, reward them. Uh, there's role play involved in terms of learning. There's time management. Uh, there's feedback skills that have to come to managers. And uh, I've, I'm seeing different executives engage in different ways. And unfortunately, for the most part, I don't see the level of engagement necessary. You talked about uh, Jake, uh, Steve Jacobson at Fairway. Every day he sends his a team out, you know, an incredible 
dialogue of motivational words then builds it around the company, whatever the need of the day is. Very transparent, very open. And I told him, I said, man, you're, you know, you must love doing that. And he said, no, I don't really love doing it, but I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we're, you know, again, introverted, traditional executive type managers exist throughout our business and they get just as lazy, bad word, as salespeople could get when you're in a, a, a volume period like we are now. You get used to the volume. You're working remote from your vacation house or wherever you are. A lot of the CEOs are today. Um, many are coming to the office, many are not. And um, and I don't know if they're thinking about, you know, what's coming next and how do I start preparing my sales force while not losing the business that's coming in today and preparing my organization, frankly, because uh, it needs everybody on board to be able to address what's going to be a much more competitive market as we look into late 21 and 22. Yeah, I was on a uh, webcast yesterday with John Maxwell, and he was uh, interviewing Casey Crawford from Movement. And it was just, it was really powerful to just listen to Casey's ideas as how to lead effectively and how to create a culture of purpose. And, you know, every mortgage company, including them, have had ups and downs over the last two or three years, especially we think back to how hard Q1 of last year was and the end of 2018. But I was I really admired just the idea that culture doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. And uh, and and as soon as I'm done with this interview, I'm putting my T-shirt on and my T-shirt says culture matters. You know, and I think that. Every leader today has to take a look at what is your culture and and how are you leading? And one of the things that John Maxwell always talks about is, you know, followership is an earned right. You know, if you if you demand followership, people are going to only follow you because of threat and fear. But if you earn followership because of the impact you've made, the the dent that you've made in your corporate universe, the value you've added to individual lives, then people will follow you to the end of the, the earth. And I think that is the decisive thing that every leader has to understand. What are you doing every day to sharpen your leadership skills? So, I, I man, I agree with you. Um, I, have, I have a question that I want to take you to, and then I've got one more. Um, what What are you seeing on the real estate side? What, what, any trends or, or, you know, I know that some of the big boys like Redfin and Zillow, they've, you know, lots of layoffs and things like that. And, you know, the buyers have kind of dried up. They're going to come back. But what's your, what's your three minutes or four minutes on the real estate industry right now? You know, the, the Zillow concept is a vision, right? And whether it's going to achieve it, whether their CEO will achieve that vision, I think is yet to be determined. Um, uh I, I see very, to your point about culture, I, I uh, Compass, I'll just give you one example. So uh, the DC manager of the Compass office asked me to come talk to all our agents. And uh, I, I didn't know that the, uh, the CEO was ultimately going to reach out and say, can you do Compass now for me? Because I've heard great things. And he opened up the call, very dynamic, uh, real company, I think. Now, I don't know, I don't know anything about the rest of their skill sets other than young, Progressive and growing uh, is kind of how I view that company. Uh, I don't want to name drop other companies, but it's interesting when you when you do these calls, and I've done a bunch with real estate companies. Um, to have a level of uh, overall leadership being applied. So I think that's one dynamic that affects real estate. Technology and skills and age are, are going to be critical components of this real estate industry going forward. Because as you know, the average age of the is X. Uh, in my age, 
And um, the future of real estate market is not going to be like that. The future home buyer is going to be much more electronically focused. Our kids, my kids who are millennials, they'll text me. They won't email me. Uh, we've used these examples before. Um, uh, they prefer to do everything online if they could. Uh, and um, and so from that standpoint, I do think we're going to see this transition over to a more automated environment. I think the greatest threatened species could ultimately be the loan officer if they can't find a way to add value beyond quoting a rate and a fee uh, because they, it could be a heavily commoditized business. And I know that's blasphemy for many out there. And Every time I do this, someone says, you know, we'll always have the loan officer a need for them. I think you'll have the need for people to create value and can help people with their problems. Um, but, uh, you know, you're going to have the quickens of the world going IPO um, and growing, uh, believing that can also be done through a central platform in a more automated way. And at some point, I think that's going to transition. I think we're going to reach demographically a period where baby boomers are no longer uh, the market and millennials and Gen Z is are the next markets. Yeah. And uh, and that's what we're going to see in terms of, you know, much more dependency on expediency, efficiency uh, and less of a need for human intervention. And when that happens, Todd, that's you know, that's I know you're fighting against that path because this is all about adding value. Uh, but I think we're going to come down to those that have an ability to add a unique value that requires their involvement in the process. And then we're going to have others who believe that they can reduce overhead costs and sales force expense and do it all and deliver it electronically in terms of that experience. And I think there'll be a, a, a room for both. But I do think that the ones who survive in the human touch world are going to, uh, going back to that skill set uh, standpoint, are going to need to be able to bring value to the table to justify their 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 uh, living. So yeah, yeah move, movement to more technology, moving to a younger demographic, and the companies that can do that more effectively, I think are going to be the ones that are survivors. Yeah, it's interesting. I was in Kalamazoo before COVID hit, and I was working with the mayor first and, and doing their mayor rap rally. And uh, yeah. the, the theme that they had for their rally was the most human company wins. And um, the book was called Marketing Rebellion. It was written by a guy and that was the subtitle of the book. And, I'm, you know, as I look at technology and as I look at what you just commented on, um, I, I still am going to hold out to a belief that in the transactions that matter most, the size, dollar amount, risk and all of that, that the human advice, the human touch, I don't see a watch and I don't see a, a Google, you know, being able to completely automate a knowledge base for consumers, especially first time home buyers. But I do think the LO of the world needs to understand empathy and humanity and, and understand how technology is going to come alongside that and speed the transaction, which means you've got to speed the trust simultaneously yep. as you speed the technology. Otherwise, you're not going to be you're not going to be needed. And this points back to what we talked about at the front end of the, the interview that that um, as easily as it would be for anybody to take our conversation and start talking to a real estate agent every day or a builder, it is equally as important for them to continue to talk to the clients that are in their tribe that they know they need to add value to instead of just going and looking for, you know, new and more business. And so we're, we're super focused on what is your value proposition and how learned are you? And, and you look at, you look at what America suffers at um, 
from a stress standpoint, forgetting everything we've currently gone through for the last 90 days, about 80% of Americans suffer from financial stress. And so when you add mortgage to financial stress, the obvious place of value is become a fiscally literate LO that can advise beyond the transaction. And then you, and then you got them, you got them. And, uh, and nobody's going to fight anybody that can help them win financially. I don't think so. That's kind of my, my two cents. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. What is the biggest lesson you have learned in your career? Um, I'm a big believer that if in, in your career to, you know, be able to look back someday and say, man, I had great success. It's not only, it's not just about money. It's about taking risks and learning new things. So, um, I had been at World for many years. I'd started as a loan rep, ended up as group senior vice president, was on my way to maybe run the whole company, which is what the president of the company wanted me to do. And a recruiter calls me to go to Freddie Mac. And I went to Freddie, not for the money. Uh, I had to move back east. I was living in the Bay Area where World was headquartered. Um, I went back to Freddie because I wanted to learn the secondary market, capital markets, and how that operated. And no one could teach me that without me being inside that building. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, I, I, I did made those career moves to be able to get the broadest view of our industry as possible. Uh, I always had this idea that I was going to someday run my own company. That time didn't work out for that. But, um, you know, that brought me to Long and Foster to run a huge real estate firm with mortgage companies. And at the time, the largest privately held real estate company in America. Again, another foundational move for me. Didn't pay me more uh, for the job at the time. I didn't make these moves for money. Uh, all the time, but I did make it uh, for for development. And then the, I get a call from the administration when President Obama comes in asking me to take a massive pay cut and go into work for this administration. With uh, only guarantee was I could I had to completely sever ties with Long and Foster, and and with the agreement that I would never go back there. Um, so, you know, you go into these jobs, you have no idea what's going to come next. You're subsidizing your own living. Etc. But why it was the most amazing time in my, in my view in terms of a credit crisis that we had ever lived through, and I wanted to be able to learn that. So it's a series. Everybody goes through these steps. Everybody gets forks in the road so that they get to look at. Just don't be comfortable where you are. Always think about how you can achieve the next level. Even if that means you're going to remain a loan originator your entire career, which, by the way, was my favorite job ever, uh, and still is remains the state. Yeah. In fact, I thought about becoming an LO here at my lake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a long story why I'm not. But anyway, so the, um, but the, you know, this is all about making sure you're constantly learning, have an insatiable appetite to do better, even in your job. A loan officer, you know, getting a CMB means that you've learned a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. you know, teach yourself, learn the business, find mentors who can teach you, not just about selling, about how capital markets work, financials. The human spirit, read books, you know, these are the things that you do to, to increase your, to improve yourself. Um, so I don't know that I, I, my, my lesson learned was uh, always take risks in your career uh, and don't make decisions based on money. Um, and and that, that's how I sort of followed my life. It worked out well either way, um, but that's how I ended up in sort of the variety of, of unique experiences that I had. Yeah. This whole idea of risk taking, you know, there's that you look at uh, you look at 
what is risk and and risk is risk. And there's a lot of people that don't understand by not taking calculated risks, you're actually creating more risk. And so everybody that 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 achieves a level of success has a different risk tolerance than those who don't. And so just step by step, try to increase uh, your risk tolerance and your uh, your ability to bear risk, right? Without being stupid and out, you know, without betting the farm and and so on and so forth. Although some sometimes we have to do that, we have to bet the company on an idea, right? And many of the the best capitalized companies in the in the market cap companies in the world bet the company on an idea. So, but that tells you why you always have to test things too, right? You if you come up with a great idea that you think is going to make your company successful, don't change the whole company at first. My my view has always been test it. Try it in a channel or an area of the country or an area of your business. See if it works. Measure it. If it does work, double down. If it doesn't, you can always retrench and and, and try again. It's like the pet food company that took their top three dog food uh, selling brands, decided if those three were the top three, let's combine all three into one new brand. They combined all three into one new brand and it failed miserably because the dogs didn't like it. Yeah. Well, you know, Coke thought they could change the, what was it? I forgot what they changed, you know. And, right. And Hey, man, great hanging with you. I know that we're going to be blessed in uh, September with you uh, participating at Sales Mastery. We're sure grateful for the friendship and relationship. Continued success to you. And thanks for pouring into our tribe and making a, making a difference today, Dave. You bet, Todd. Okay. See ya. This is Todd Duncan. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Did you know that Elon Musk has a brain coach? If a billionaire entrepreneur who's redefining the automobile and space travel industries has a coach, I think everybody needs a coach to become the best version of themselves. You may not have dreams of launching a rocket into space, but if you want to take your business and your life to the next level in less time with less stress, I encourage you to schedule a free coaching call with one of our certified coach consultants today. It's absolutely free, and I believe it's the opportunity you need to have your best life ever. Visit HighTrustCoaching.com or click the link in the show notes below to schedule today.